one of the mantras that I use is an old Native American saying that says that the longest journey a man will ever make is only 14 inches from <laughs> his head to his heart. Yep. And I think that's that journey, that hero's journey of becoming and remembering and that journey back to our own authenticity, our own power, our own confidence, our own freedom, and realizing we had it all along. Yep. We just kept procrastinating it or forgetting it or hiding it or we're convincing ourselves that it's dangerous to live that way and it's risky. Right. If you put yourself out there, you'll be disappointed or have your heart broken. But here's the thing. I've, I lived the other way for a long time and that's a lot more painful. Hello and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Michael DeSanti. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, because there are all kinds of things to get you up to speed on. So first and foremost, if you are unfamiliar, we lost our PM coach last week. Eric Huddleston has moved on, took a job with the Indiana Pacers. Couldn't be happier for my guy, E. I know this is something that was on his career path and on his career trajectory for a while. Never makes it easy to lose a coach, but at the same time, couldn't be happier uh, I mean, it's really hard to compete <laughs> with an NBA team, and that's where we lost our last couple coaches. So very excited for him. It's also given me a chance to go in, step into some of those evening hours, just get a feel for how things are going in the evenings, meet with some of the clients and athletes I don't always get to interact with, and just kind of get back on the ground level with the gym and just see what's going on. So it's been really fun to coach some of those clients, some of those athletes, get back in the mix there. Cade finished up soccer last weekend had a really good game he has really taken to playing defense absolutely his favorite position he likes goalie a little bit but he really likes playing defender and he played so well I kept telling him like that was your best game I've probably ever seen him play so excited for him and then his birthday is coming up so on Saturday after we finished the game we took a quick trip into the new space met with our flooring people, and then he and I went to Brick World. So if you are in the Lego game, Brick World is just like a cool place where people sell Legos, where they've got all kinds of cool displays. You get to meet people that are on the show, Lego Masters. And if you've ever seen some of this guy's creations, like he is a Lego savant. He absolutely loves building Legos. So to take him there, have all that fun with him, I mean, it was a blast. I will tell you, my money was absolutely on fire. Like, uh, I thought the the big pieces were expensive, and then he was really into getting a couple uh, minifigs, so the little characters. And it just so happened that he saw a Darth Vader that he really wanted. He's like, oh, I really want this minifig. I said, perfect. And I saw on the rack it was like 12 bucks. Well, unfortunately, Darth Vader was on the back of the rack, and he was actually $28. <laughs> so a little bit more expensive than I would have thought. And by the time we picked up a couple minifigs and a big pack, it felt like my money was on fire. But had an absolute blast. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, when I bought that Darth Vader, this guy, you know, kind of pulls me over. He's like, Psst, hey, come here. He's like, do you want like the holy grail of Darth Vader's? And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. But what is it? And he shows me this unassembled Darth Vader minifigure that's chrome. Like his entire outfit is chromed out. Very cool looking. And then I saw the price tag and it was $400. He's like, yeah, man, it's my last one. I already sold two today. I'm like, well, 
don't think I'm quite at that level with my Lego game, but I appreciate it. So anyway, Kate had a blast. We had a ton of fun going there. Uh, so the weekend, the rest of the weekend was pretty low key. This week, all of the things are going on. I'm coaching the gym. My soccer girls are finishing up. They've got their soccer tournament this weekend. So we got two more practices, at least two more games, hopefully three. Uh, if we play well enough, we can work our way into the championship. We finished up second in our division. So feel good. Feel good about the girls. It all comes down to how they play. Because as you know, if you've ever coached a sport, your record when you get into a tournament really means nothing. It's how you play in the games that you are given. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but we got the soccer tournament. Friday is Cade's birthday. He is going to be eight. Hard to imagine, but super excited. We got some fun stuff planned for him. He feels like moving into the gym is part of his birthday. So I feel like I'm winning there. And yeah, this weekend, the big move is happening. So we're closing down a little bit early on Friday. I'm going to coach two of my distance clients. And then we're shutting down Friday. We're getting as much stuff packed up and ready as we can. We're going to roll up the flooring because then Saturday the movers are coming in. They're going to roll out the flooring, get it shipped over there, get it set up, get the equipment moved. And then hopefully by Monday, we're going to be up and running. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a, a minimum viable product rollout because even when we get in there, like not everything's going to be done, right? Like there's going to be stuff in the office that's not ready so Agility's not going to be in there just yet, and then they're going to have to lay their turf down. So there's a lot of steps still to go in this process, but the big 80 to 90% chunk of our move should be done this weekend. So very excited about that. Stay tuned. And then one thing to look forward to, if you've been listening to the show for a couple weeks, couple months, couple years, big week next week, believe it or not, it is going to be our 300th episode. And just saying that is kind of mind-blowing because I'll be honest, when I started this, I thought, yeah, definitely 50, maybe 100 episodes. But after that, like, there's no way I'm going to continue doing this. And to be quite frank, it's just something that I still really enjoy. I love connecting with the new coaches that I meet with, like Coach DeSanti that we're going to talk to here in a little bit. I love catching up with my old friends like Lee Taft and Eric Cressy and Joel Jameson. So as long as you the listener continue to enjoy this this show, then I'm going to continue to do it. So I'd love to hear your feedback. What are you liking these days? What do you not like? Who would you like to have on the show? Uh, I've got some pretty cool ideas and things planned going forward that I think you'll be excited about, but I'd love to hear your feedback. So be sure, drop me a line, mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com with feedback. If you like it, go to wherever you consume podcasts subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, rank it, review it, all that good stuff. Do whatever you can to help me spread the word, man, because I'm in this game for the long haul. And like I said, as long as you're enjoying it, I'm going to continue to do it. All right. So that's enough for me. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with Michael DeSanti. It seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in this industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification takes the last 20 years of my life's work and puts it all into one massive course 
In it, you're gonna learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. One of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten about the Complete Coach Cert is that people that train gin pop people and people that train high-level athletes and everyone in between is taking something away from the course. You also learn how to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. You're gonna learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've got an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Now, of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification only open twice per year for a limited time. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will open soon. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on that insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Cert when it launches. Michael DeSanti is the owner of Authentic Self-Healing, a men's fulfillment coaching company, and the co-owner of The Vital Guide, a retreat company for men. As a transformation trainer and author, Michael is committed to inspiring men to live lives of purpose and fulfillment. In this show, Mike and I cover a ton of topics. We talk about the differences between spectators and cheerleaders in our life, the difference between being humble and playing small, the difference between freedom and discipline, and so much more. Now, even though Michael works primarily with men, I think both men and women alike can learn from his unique thought process and life views. This is an awesome episode. I had a great time catching up with Michael, and I really think you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Mike, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity. It's great to spend time with you. I'm Michael DeSanti. I'm the author of New Men Emerging. I'm a men's fulfillment coach, uh, happily married for coming up on two years now. Nice. And uh, lived out in Miami. And my life's work and my life's passion is uh, helping men shift their uh, perspective and mindset from success to fulfillment. I love it. So talk to me a little bit as we were discussing before the show started. You know, it'd be very easy if we all just knew exactly what we wanted coming out of high school, college, took that dream job right off the bat and then just cruised for 50 years until we retired. But uh, mm -hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about your career arc and your journey and what led you to where you are today. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely not a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been passionate about health and wellness and mindset and really like the human design. I've always been passionate about like what makes humans do what they do and why, and, and also too, what makes humans not do what they know they should do. Right, right. So, so when, ever since I was young, I've always had this like fascination with the human condition and the human experiment that we're in here. I dedicated a ton of my, my youth to learning and really like digesting and digging deep into deep spiritual texts and psychological texts. Like it's just always just been a passion of mine. Then when I went to college and I was in my twenties, 
you know, I came from a family where we didn't have a ton of money. And when I got out of college, I was offered a job by my uncle in corporate event planning, like a rapid radical departure from, (laughs) you know, where I thought my life was going. Right. But I, I went, I took the job because there was great money in it. I got to travel. And over time, I was actually being groomed to take over his company. So in my 20s, I was vice president of the company, drove the Mercedes Benz, owned my own home. And now remember, I didn't come from much. So to accomplish all this in my 20s was like, this is amazing. And on paper, my life looked incredible. But the more and more responsibility I, I received in that job and the more I really never felt like I was making some great impact in my life or anyone else's life, except financially. And then as I got older uh, in my 20s, I remember thinking there's no way I could do this for another decade or two. Mm. Uh, My health was suffering. My stress levels were through the roof. I was gaining weight. I was traveling all the time. I wasn't seeing friends. My relationships were suffering. And I always had this passion for health and well-being and coaching. And I started to reclaim my health, losing weight, working out again. And there was people in my office that were noticing what I was doing. And I just started coaching them. I didn't even know coaching was a career. This is right. like over a decade ago. Right. And what started to happen was I, they started to create results in their life. And, and little by little, this passion just kind of really took root in my heart. And so much so that one day my uncle, we went out to dinner and he said, you know, I, I feel like your heart isn't in this business anymore. It's not in this work anymore. And I said to him, I got to be honest with you. It's not. He said, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, I want to help people put their health and happiness back together. And, and his response was, well, that doesn't work. I'll leave a position open for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. But here's the thing in my head, all I heard was go for it. Yeah. Like that was all the permission I needed was go give it a shot. I don't even think that's what he said. It's right. just what I heard. Right. <laughs> and, and I remember driving home and my mother asked me, how did, how did dinner go with your uncle? And I said, as well as could be expected. And my mother said to me, Michael, what do you want with your life? And I remember the exact words I said were, I want to become part of the solution. And right now I feel like I'm part of the problem. I was just making comfortable people more comfortable. Right. I wasn't making any great impact. I wasn't doing anything that of substance and influence and something that really lit me up. And then I started to go down the route of, all right, what is coaching? How can I make a career out of it? And it did not. It was not a straight shot. Like I said, it was mostly at first it was health and well-being, nutrition, exercise. But then what I started to learn in that arc, like you call it, is that there was people that knew what to do, but they weren't doing it. Yeah, That became like the majority of my clientele. And that's when I started to really shift my business and my career and my work and my, my art, my, you know, my body of work into, well, let's take a, let's take a look under the hood at belief systems and habits and behavior and mindset and what I call context. And if we could actually tweak and adjust that or shed some awareness on it, you could create results with people that are extraordinary. And so that, that was the beginning, that one conversation with my uncle and then my mother. I want to become part of the solution. I feel like I'm part of the problem. Became a catalyst for the next 12 years of my life. That is awesome, man. 
I love it. So let's start with a really big picture question. And this is gonna be unique, because like I said, I've got some questions for you. I've got some passages from your book. I think it's gonna be a really fun episode. But one thing I'd love to start with are your foundations for fulfillment. So could you just kind of give us the broad strokes there? What are those? What does that mean to you? So I, what I started to notice, especially I, I was telling you the story in my 20s, my whole 20s was about chasing success. And it was incredibly common. It was almost as though, and I started to put this together in my 20s and in my 30s, that we were conditioned to simply be successful. And I started to notice the more and more successful I became, the more and more miserable I was becoming. <laughs> I was right. more stressed out than I ever was. And yet, on paper, I was more successful than I had ever been. And I said, there's got to be something that's a disconnect. And I started to look at what, are, what I call domains in life. Domains are anything that require love and attention, like your health, your career, your finances, your marriage, your relationships, your spiritual life, your leisure life. All of these things require love and attention. And success is a particular accomplishment or an achievement in one area or one particular domain. Typically, it's career or finance. But fulfillment, I started to notice, is that fulfillment was distinct. Fulfillment is when all the domains of life re receive the appropriate amount of love and attention. Yes. And that word appropriate is deliberate. It's because it, it doesn't mean it's equal. I don't spend as much time with my wife as I do working. It, it, it doesn't happen. Right. It's not equal, but they're harmonized. And so I started to look at, all right, all of this attention I'm giving to success I started notice I was noticing I was becoming the guy who's becoming successful, but his life or excuse me, his health was suffering. How often have we seen that? Or men that become wealthy and yet their marriages are just in the gutter. Yep. And it became this 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 lifestyle of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. And there was no harmony to it. But the moment I started to shift my mindset and my perspective to all of these domains require love and attention. So how could I then become a dynamic enough man to give that love and attention to where it's required? How can I earn money and still have a thriving marriage? How could I travel the way I want to travel and make what I want to make and still make sure that my health is on point and my nutrition and my fitness is top notch? How can I travel and turn off work when I want to turn off work and then turn it on when I want to turn it on? It required that I go through this whole inner transformation and of, of becoming, rather than being one-dimensional in my life, I became, it was this quest to become dynamic. And in that dynamicness, I mean, fulfillment is just, it's right there. But I just think it's such a, a unique proposition for so many people because it, we haven't been conditioned for fulfillment. We're far more conditioned for success. Yeah, I love that. And I was jotting this note down, but I think so often when we're judging ourselves based on this metric of success, it's an external calibration, right? It's external, totally. like how much money do I make? What car do I drive? How big is my house? Versus the things that you're talking about when you talk about fulfillment are much more internally calibrated, right? The rest oh. of the world may not know what's going on, but you know things in your life are working the way they should. Most certainly. And then what happens, it's, you're, you're, you're entirely accurate and correct. I have an external goalpost or marker 
and then I associate an inner state with accomplishing it. Mm, yeah. I associate confidence or freedom or power or peace of mind with accomplishing this goal or, the, or making this happen. Right. And then what ends up happening is most of the time there's so many people that actually accomplish it and yet they're like, they're at this mountaintop or summit of their life and they're like, wait, that's it? I still feel empty or lost or unsatisfied. And all of a sudden now we've, we, we were met with this disillusionment. And yep. then it becomes a really honest conversation to have with ourselves of like, wait, I get to reroute some things here. Absolutely, man. I love that. Okay. So at the risk of sounding morbid, what does it mean to, quote, keep your death close, unquote? That's for anyone that's read my book. That's the, that's, you know, there's three sections to my book and that's, that's part one. That's section one is keep your death close. And I really came up with that philosophy or that idea when I was losing my father. My father was uh, passing away of pancreatic cancer. And I started to really engage with my father in a totally different way because we started to really taste the mortality of him being on borrowed time. Mm -hmm. And I remember the things that I was reluctant to forgive, the things that we maybe came into conflict or disagreed upon, they didn't matter as much anymore right, right. during that diagnosis. And then what happened was, I could say the miracle of it all is my father lived eight years with pancreatic cancer. Wow. So we had this borrowed time and yet it just kept getting stretched out longer and longer. And it was this amazing period of time that I had with my father. But it was because we actually were honest about mortality. And the reason I write Keep Your Death Close in the book is because I think, you know, in the West, we have this conversation around death of like, don't talk about it, you know, suppress it, deny it, procrastinate it. Right. Right. Like, like and, and yet it's, the, it's the, the one fate that we all share. Yeah. And then I started to look at it from a different perspective of like, well, if going through this process with my father enriched our relationship. What if I actually kept it close? How would I live differently? How would I love differently? How would I interact with my career or my passion or my friends? How would that change things? And what I started to realize like, that if I kept death close, rather than deny it, but actually kept it close, it gave a sense of richness and depth and meaning to life for me personally. Yep. And I started to look at my life and my processes and my endeavors and my passions so differently because what I started to look at was when I'm faced with this circumstance or I want to bring this business or this endeavor or this venture to life and I came up against fear or doubt or insecurity, I started to look at like, well, when I'm on my deathbed, what's going to matter most? Right. Is the, is the fear going to matter most? Am I going to be happy that I didn't follow through and that I wasn't courageous? Am I going to be happy that, oh, I didn't have all my ducks in a row, so I played it safe? Or am I going to look back with satisfaction and say, you know what? You took a risk. You didn't know what the unknown held, but you had courage and you moved forward anyway. And I started to look at all the things in my life and all the areas in my life where I was procrastinating or putting off or denying or 
saying, eh, one day I'll get to that. Right. And I started to totally live with a different sense of urgency. And that sense of urgency has become like a new habit of mine where I live and love as though I'm on borrowed time. And I think living that way has, has really added a depth and a, like I said, a richness and a meaning to my life that I didn't have when I thought, yeah, one day when I've got it all figured out, then I'll dive right in right, and, right. Get, and get committed. <laughs> right. Well, and it, it's one of those things. I've heard this in numerous places over the years, but like people that work in nursing homes or in hospices, like the mm -hmm. one thing they find almost across the board is the people that are unhappy or very sad at the time of their death are the people that felt like they have a lot of regrets, things they yeah. didn't do, things they didn't say, like quote unquote mistakes, not the way we would view them, but like they feel like they have this sense of regret because they didn't take those shots or those opportunities. Totally, totally. And I think it's the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. Like if you think of it this way, and I write this in the book, like a flower that doesn't die, we'd step over it. Right. <laughs> like, you know, we wouldn't even care about it. Right. But it's that it's that scarcity, that limitation, that briefness that actually gives it so much fragrance and gives it so much depth and meaning it's because it, it's transient it's because it doesn't last forever that's why we value it yeah if it if it were if it never passed on then we wouldn't even care we wouldn't add value to it it's because it's fleeting that makes it so impactful yeah i love that man okay so i feel like this is kind of in the same vein but talk to me about being in the mind versus being in the moment Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think in the mind, and I, I write this in the book, is so many of us like, live in our mind where it starts to become a tool that gets out of control, right? And I, I write this in the book. My father was a, was a builder. He was an incredible craftsman and carpenter. And when he had, growing up, we were always around big power tools, but my father would plug the tool in turn it on, make the cut, turn it off and unplug it, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, we grew up around these power tools, but my father had to be very mindful of these tools because we were little kids and God forbid we got cut by them. Right. The mind is a very similar tool and it makes a much better servant than it does a master. And the mind when plugged in and turned on and makes its cut and then turned off and unplugged, it, it's actually a, an incredible tool for living your life. But I think what we've done is many of us, we've plugged it in, we've turned it on, we've made a cut, and we've walked away. And now, <laughs> right. now, right. now that, that same tool is now dangerous. You know, we're not using our thinking and our mind very accurately, deliberately, intentionally. And then what happens is then life just, the mind starts to take us over and then life becomes like this mental chess match of well, what if this happens and what if this happens, then I'll do this. And then now I've got a plan for that. And it keeps us so either obsessed in a future that's only going to come from by you know what you do and choose to be now yep. or obsessed in some past or some history of regret which keeps us locked in there which also dilutes our power as well being in the moment is really coming from for me it comes from a state of being a state of being confident or loving or powerful or compassionate or free and then really allowing that state or that even that heart centeredness to really allow the way I want to interact with my life and with myself and with others in this moment. And then using my mind as a way of enhancing that. 
rather than the other way around, which is what I think a lot of us have been taught. Figure it all out and then go get, you know, commit and then you'll experience power or freedom or authenticity or confidence. I'm like, guys, that equation does not work. We've proven <laughs> it a countless amount of times. And one of the mantras that I use is an old Native American saying that says that the longest journey a man will ever make is only 14 inches from <laughs> his head to his heart. Yep. And I think that's that journey, that hero's journey of becoming and remembering and that journey back to our own authenticity, our own power, our own confidence, our own freedom, and realizing we had it all along. Yep. We just kept procrastinating it or forgetting it or hiding it or we're convincing ourselves that it's dangerous to live that way and it's risky. Right. If you put yourself out there, you'll be disappointed or have your heart broken. But here's the thing. I've, I lived the other way for a long time and that's a lot more painful. Yes. Yes. Well, and I always come back to when I'm genuinely happy or I genuinely feel like I'm in the moment, those are the best times, right? Versus totally. the time you snap at your child or you say something snarky to your significant other is when you're in your own mind, right? And you're thinking about something else or you're distracted or you have these like emotions from either past or future mm -hmm. events yet to come, right? You're in your yeah. own head and then they say something and then that triggers you. Right. Versus totally. when you're just there and in the moment, like it's amazing how much easier everything is. No doubt about it. Because and there's a distinction there between being reactive and being responsive. Reactive is even the word itself is to act again, but it's to act again from the past. Right. So anytime I'm reactive in this moment, it's not even coming from this moment. It's coming from an interpretation or a wound that I have from my history. Yep. To be responsive is actually to be in the moment and then to respond is to actually be present and then appropriately interact with this moment of what it's giving me yes. or what it's presenting to me. And there's a way that I use that. And I write it in a book about reaction is simply asking, what is this moment calling forth from within me? Mm. So like as that. my you know, our kids look at us a certain way or our wife or friends, or we get that email or that, uh, I don't know, that post or whatever it is, like right. rather than react to it from my history, from my past and from an old wound, you know, what is this moment calling forth from me from within now? Oh, maybe it is calling forth patience or compassion or a sense of peace or letting it go. Right. Now that's a whole different way of interacting with the moment. Yeah, I really like that. Okay, so as promised, I'm going to read uh, a passage from your book here. So this is on page 47, and this is the shorter one, so bear with okay. me. But uh, I want, I'm want i going to read this, and then I want you to just kind of help me out here and, and take me where you were at when you wrote this. But it goes like this. As you grow into your desired state, as you fulfill your destiny of being human, there will be those who cheer you on and champion you, and there will be those who resist your growth and challenge you at every corner. The irony is they are doing it already. Like, I love that because I think we got, we, we so often get caught up in this mindset of haters, right? There's haters. These people are hating on me. They don't like me. So talk to me a little bit about that, about how, yes, there's cheerleaders, there's haters, but it doesn't matter. They're already doing it. They're, they're already doing it. They're already doing it in their own life. Yeah. They're already doing it to other people. And the, the easiest way that I could distinguish that is 
you know, there's people in life that are spectators and there's people in life that are in the arena. Mm-hmm. And I, here's the thing. I, I never solicit feedback from spectators. <laughs> I love that. Ever. I will only solicit feedback from people that are willing to be in the arena with me, willing to bleed, willing to sweat, willing to cry, willing to fail, willing to grow. I will only solicit feedback from them because here's the thing spectators, they spectate. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And you know, here's, you know, there's a, there's a strange phenomenon now where it's like, you know, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to get people to like me that barely like themselves. Yes. I'm just not going to do it. But here's the thing is I will solicit feedback from people that are willing to do the work and, and live purposefully and be influential and take risks and access courage. I want to know what's working for you. What do you see that I'm not seeing? And that's who I want to make sure that I keep that circle and that time and that love and that energy. I write that in the book, your three commodities, your time, your love, and your energy. And if you think I'm mistaken, ask anyone on their deathbed. They will give their fortune back for those three things. Yep. But I want to make sure that my interactions, that my, you know, where I reach out, where I get feedback, where I get championed and and challenged or from people that are in the arena that are willing to grow with me, that are willing to take their lives on, that are, are willing to expand and evolve and adapt and, and be of service to their families, their communities and to humanity. That's all that matters to me. That they're the only opinions and that's the only feedback that I'll value. Yeah. Because the people that are in the in the stands, the spectators, they, their job is to critique. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But there's a you know a simple mantra is, you'll never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you. I love that too. You, I love it. You will only be criticized by someone doing less. Yeah, I love it. So uh, it's it's valuable feedback. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This guy's doing less in life than I am. Great. Right. Yeah. That like. I wrote down here, sideline basketball guy. And here's what I mean by that, because I grew up playing basketball and, you know, basketball can be rowdy. You can be close to the fans and they're chirping at you. And uh, I remember numerous times in college, uh, I had one particular guy who was very willing to tell me if I missed a shot or I made a bad play and very quickly shut sideline basketball guy down when I would say, hey, look, you're welcome to come out here and play against me at any point in time, my friend. And generally that stopped the conversation. Right. Totally. Uh, but yeah, it's just yeah, totally. I, I love that mindset. And then I don't know if you're a huge hip hop guy, but like a while back, there was this like meme of Drake and Drake said something along the lines of only hang around with people that are trying to do at, things that are at your level or higher because otherwise it'll just sound like you're bragging. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a big 90s hip hop fan. Yes. So Drake is a little outside of yeah. my spectrum. Yeah. Yes. I, have, I have my whole take on, you know, new music. Yes. That's, I'm just dating myself. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's but okay. The, but, the, but absolutely. I mean, that that's, that's ultimately like exactly what we're saying here is, you, you know, if you, if you want thriving relationships or a thriving marriage, be around people that have thriving marriages. Yes. If you want success and wealth, be around wealthy people and successful people. If you want, you know, optimum health, be around people that are optimally healthy because that, that environment and those people and those relationships will help shape you rather than a spectator. If you think of it this way, Mike, if you think of 
if you and I are in a dead end job and we sit next to each other in cubicles and I ask you for your feedback on like our best possible life, you're going to just give me <laughs> your feedback of all the limitations of why you can't do it. Right. Right. But if I say, hey, listen, you were once in my position and you got out of it and now look at the life you're living, you're really in the arena. Please give me some insight into how I can now adjust my future and create a new trajectory and trend. Well, now, all of a sudden, I'm getting feedback from someone that's in the arena rather than just a spectator that's buying into and, and these limiting beliefs of all the reasons why I can't do it. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. So talk to me about the difference between freedom versus commitment, because I think this is a really unique like thought process you have. And like, we say we want freedom, right? But like true freedom, like, oh, I just eat whatever I want and I drink whatever I yeah. want. And like, maybe that isn't really the type of freedom we're looking for here. So talk to me about the difference between freedom and commitment. Yeah. You know, there's, this was a, a, a challenging thing for me to confront when I was younger because I thought freedom was doing what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. And I started to look at, well, there's no commitment or discipline in that. And I started to look at, well, no, I'm just going to let myself do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. And what started to happen was I started becoming miserable and unhealthy. And I, 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 I write in the book, like, if you think of, and there's a popular, you know, theme going around now of, of freedom through discipline and, and, and discipline equals freedom. And, that was a very hard concept for me when I was young because I thought freedom was exactly what I just said. And I write in the book, like, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, go to sleep whenever you want, drink whatever you want, do that for two weeks, <laughs> work when you want. Like, at the end of two weeks, you'll be miserable. Yeah. But let's say with commitment and with discipline, for the next two weeks, go to sleep before 9.30, drink X amount of water, eat only you know, organic foods from the earth. Make sure you're hydrated. Have only meaningful uh, conversations and you know, depth of relationship. Exercise every day. Get sunlight. Apply all these disciplines. At the end of two weeks, you feel great. Right. right. It's it's a it's a it's a strange dichotomy that we, we, we that discipline and commitment create tension for us to feel free within the confines of who we are or what we're passionate about. And the moment I actually start to put these boundaries and even these rules on myself around these domains that we talked about for fulfillment, and then here's the parameters. Now within these parameters, I give love and attention to my health, to my marriage, to my finances, to my spiritual life, to my leisure life. That tension that's created from discipline and commitment, that's what expedites our progress. And we are happiest when we are growing. We're happiest when we're trending toward what we want. We're happiest when we feel we have control and power over our time. That's when we're happiest. Yeah. When we're trending toward, you know, creating this, this blueprint and these life conditions for ourselves, that's when we're happiest is when we're advancing. And that requires discipline and that requires commitment. Yeah. So when you were talking about that, it made me immediately think of, again, this is probably come coming from sideline basketball guy or the spectator, right? But they assume if you're an entrepreneur, right, you have freedom as you just described it, right? Like you just right. do whatever you want, right? Oh yeah. You go home at two, uh, you work like a four hour work day. Like they don't understand the commitment that goes into 
being an entrepreneur and doing it the right way, right? Because now you don't have the system and the social structure to tell you, be at work at nine, go home at five, da, da, da. Like, no, now you have to have all that commitment bottled up inside you, or you got to find ways to structure it so that you can actually achieve what you want, right? No doubt about it. It is now, you know, (laughs) self-inflicted, right? Yeah. That discipline and that commitment now has to be self-inflicted. Yep. That I look at, again, my time, love, and energy, my three greatest commodities, that I look at my time and I deliberately put this level of focus to it. Because there's a great expression that says, you know, energy is unlimited, but focused energy is not. Yep. Human beings have a finite amount of focused energy. So someone that wants to be an entrepreneur or craft their own destiny or craft their own financial destiny You've got to, we've got to be incredibly deliberate where our focused energy goes. Yep. And if, if it's diluted or I'm not protecting that focused energy and using discipline and using commitment and using focus and really finding that time and, and, and protecting it, then it's going to be like, it's going to be like corralling cats. Yeah. Always, there's always going to be a, a level of reactivity, uh, always a, a you know circumstance that's going to pop up and knock you off your game. Like it's so important that that time is protected and used deliberately. I love it, man. Okay, so as we start to wind this up, I'm going to read a probably two paragraph passage out of your book. Now I'm going to give some context to the listeners here. I talked to you about this before we came on air, but I've read a lot of books and and Mike can see this, or if you've ever watched my YouTube videos, there's a lot of books in this house, right? These are just the ones you can see. There's more over here. There's more upstairs. We go to the library every week. Like we read a lot of books in our house. And I can tell you, I read this book on our vacation this past July. And I can tell you of all the books I've read, it's one of the most powerful statements because it's so strongly applied to me. So I'll read the whole segment and then I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Sure. So bear with me. Sorry. It's going to take a minute. Somewhere along the way, our culture collapsed being humble to playing small. The common inner belief of talented men is that they don't want to outshine anyone else. They think by doing so, it would mean upsetting other people, stealing the spotlight, making other people uncomfortable, and have themselves look arrogant. The irony is that by withholding our gifts, withholding our medicine, we are the ones that are actually being selfish and arrogant because people don't get to mutually benefit by the unique fire that is in us. People miss out on our power, wisdom, clarity, insight, creativity, and all the states that they yearn for from us. But we withhold from other people because we are too concerned with the opinions of others. They may call us cocky, arrogant, a know-it-all, and many of us, up until this point, haven't been brave enough to take that risk. Who are you not to be an authority in your life? Your gifts are unique to you, your soul, your spirit, your fire. Only you can connect with the divine cord within you and live from a place where that is fed and expressed through your life. It is not for others to give you, it is for you to own. Only you can unlock your own authenticity. You are the hero in your story, and it must come from a place of ownership to truly unlock its full potential and power. Now, I will tell you, the reason that means so much to me is because there are so many times in my own life where I've thought, I, I feel like I'm successful, and I'm doing things, and I'm helping people. 
but I hold back and I don't do some of the things that I think I should or I know that I should uh, because I don't want to make other people around me feel like lesser people, right? Or like I want to outshine them. So talk to me a little bit about that because I'm bordering on emotional here just reading that because again, this is the way I lived the bulk of my adult life, right? I don't want to show somebody else up. I want to be humble. So I'll be quiet or I won't say something or I'll be a little bit less than what I could be. And I don't want to do that anymore. So talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, we could spend hours <laughs> just talking about that. I could, I could tell like it, it really impacted you. And, you know, if we, if we think of, if we think of, you know, in that chapter, I call, I call that uniqueness of who we are, that, that, that significance of who we are, like that's our medicine. Yep. Right. And we owe that medicine to the world. That's your unique fire. That's your unique spiritual fingerprint like that's your unique why of you know why you're here and really at the end of the day it comes in like what's the impact you left what's the impact that you made by living who whose lives did you improve what solutions did you offer what innovations made people's lives better and you're going back to keep your death close like when when we're on our deathbed are we are we going to be happy that we played small that we didn't shine that we, you know what, I, I withheld that solution because I didn't want to look like the know-it-all. Right. But think about it, like, we have the opportunity every day to leave a dent in infinity. And by playing small, we're actually like robbing people of our brilliance, robbing people of our power, robbing people of solutions that make their lives better. And then we, we frame it around, well, let me just be humble. No, that's being arrogant. If I if if my life has a challenge and you have the solution and you don't share it with me because you don't want to outshine anyone else, well now my life suffers. Right. My life suffers because you were given that gift. I was given the challenge, you were given the gift. I was given the lock, you were given the key. And in that relatedness and in relationship, we actually start to we we start to be develop true reciprocity that you experience the gift of who you are by supporting and contributing and making my life better and that doesn't come from hiding that comes from stepping up that comes from the courage to stand out that comes from the humility to actually own my place in the world and be of service to someone and be of service to my greatest capacity, not to my comfort capacity, but to my greatest capacity. And that to me is true humility. That to me is owning my own gifts and and even recognizing like they don't come from me. They come from a much deeper place, a much deeper spirit than who I am. And right now I have the opportunity in this moment to be impactful, to be honorable, to be loving to be generous to be kind to be humble like that's what makes life magical we have this opportunity to consistently and constantly give the gift and the medicine of who we are and if we choose not to based on what other people will think especially spectators then man am i missing a gift i'm missing an opportunity and i'm missing the chance to really impact and positively positively influence other people's lives and at the end of the day i think that's all that's going to matter yeah i love it man i mean that's why i wrote down here number one nobody wins when you play small like nobody 
right? Yeah. And then the second piece, uh, after I read the book, uh, I went through some of the exercises and, and one of the things is a, a very free flowing time. Cause again, I'm on vacation. I don't have the distractions of work and email and all that. And I wrote down like one of my big life goals was to positively impact as many people as I can, right? Whether it's through yeah. the fitness and the stuff that I do here, uh, whether it's, you know, coaching the little kids that I do in soccer and basketball and all that, it's to just be this beacon of positivity. And I think yeah. that section of that book really helped me own that and realize, hey, like what I'm doing is powerful. And if I don't do that to the best of my capability, then I'm holding back from the world that I shouldn't. Right. And then people suffer because of it. Right. Your relationships suffer. Your children suffer. The people that have challenges, they suffer. And like, think about it the way I look at what you just said. What you just said is a noble endeavor. It's yeah. a noble endeavor. And it's okay. going to require that you are, you grow, that sometimes you hit points where you're uncomfortable, that you take risks, right. that you shine. And then in that doing, in so doing, you actually then become an inspiration and example for other people to reclaim their own power. And I'll tell you, I think that's the way we're all going to get out of this. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Okay, my friend, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Michael DeSanti one piece of advice about life, what would it be? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> uh, wow, that's something else. Uh, uh, let me, I'll, I'll give you two answers to that. Okay. Love yourself, love each other. That would be my first answer. And my second answer would be, there's enough. Mm. There's enough, you're enough. Those yep. would be my, those would be my two answers. Wow. I mean, how important is that to hear in this day and age yeah. when we're constantly being fed this message of you're not enough, right? To totally. There's not enough. You're not enough. And we live that out unconsciously. We live out that scarcity mentality yeah. and nothing's ever enough. And we walked around, we walk around incredibly dissatisfied. And if I, if I could tell my younger self, anything, love yourself, love each other. And there's enough. You're enough. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. My guy, last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Oh, Your answer sure. can be as long or short as you like. All right. Number one, give me your career highlights so far as a coach. I think uh, career highlights is having the book published, is um, creating the retreat company that I have that where I bring people out to Montana, which is geared around my father's final wish yep. that I leave his ashes in Montana and, and then creating a, a, an adventure retreat around that. That's a highlight for me. And I think also for me, you know, the amount of coaching that I've been able to do and the community that I've built through what I call Find Your Tribe, the online men's coaching program, that has become a, a great passion of mine. Those have been, those have been uh, highlights for me in what I call a body of work. You know, yeah. coaches have the opportunity to make a body of work and build a body of work. And those to me are, are, are some, some of the biggest highlights for me. I love it, man. Okay, number two. When did you realize you wanted to be a coach? Was there like a moment where you're just like, okay, this is not working. This corporate gig isn't working. I think this yeah. is the way I want to go. It was actually, uh, it was then at a Christmas party for that company. And I was coaching a lot of the people in my office and they were losing weight and they were feeling great and they were getting energized. And at the Christmas party, one of the women that I was coaching, her husband came up to me and said, 
are you Michael? I said, yeah. He said, and he said to me, you've changed my life. I never wow. even met the guy. Wow. And I said, tell me, uh, how, how are we just meeting? And you're telling me this. He said, <laughs> I, I follow all the advice you give my wife. I've lost 50 pounds in the last year. And I signed up for the Boston Marathon. And he was in his 50s. And he said, I never thought I would ever have the vitality in my 50s to even think of doing something like that. And he ended up running it. Wow. And it changed his whole life just by me coaching her. And at, at that moment, I said, oh, wow, there's an opportunity to make a, a great impact in people's lives then. And that to me was just the catalyst after that. I love it, man. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Num number three, obviously Montana holds a very powerful place in your heart. What originally led you there? Like, why did you go there the oh, first wow. time? You, you know what? This is, <laughs> I was telling this story a few weeks ago when I was in Montana with a, a group of men, when I was young, I was 17, me and three friends, got on a train in New York City and took it to San Francisco. Okay. And then we backpacked in the Sierra Nevadas and got back on the train, took it to Seattle and then got back and explored around there and then got back on the train in Seattle and I was 17 and we took a train overnight through the Pacific Northwest and I woke up to a sunrise in Glacier Park, Montana on the Flathead River. And my friends were asleep. I was gone for 30 days. I don't know how my parents let me do this. <laughs> it was in 1997. Right. And I woke up on this train to this pink sunrise, which is overlooking the Flathead River in Glacier Park, Montana. And I thought I died and went to heaven. Yeah. And I went and explored the area. I fell so in love with it. I got back on the train, took the train to Chicago, Chicago back to New York City. And I went home, I was 17, I was going into my senior year of high school. Wow. And I wrote, I wrote a letter to the University of Montana. I applied to one college, sent it to them, got accepted, bought a pickup truck, drove out to Montana, never even saw the school. Oh my gosh, that's showed, amazing. I just, <laughs> I just showed up on campus and said, I guess this is home for the next four years. Wow, that is a cool that's story, how, that, dude. That's how I got out there. And, I'll, and I, I warned people, be careful because that place will get into your blood. It'll get into your spirit and you won't be able to, to let it go. I love so it. I've been going out there for 21 years. That's awesome, man. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for you, man? I mean, like you said, you've got the book, you've got the retreats, you've got the groups. Like what's next on your radar? You know, I have this body of work and I've just spoke to a lot of my marketing team or my, you know, I spoke to my guys the other day is really about creating a community so that all of these people, all these men that come in at different entry points in my services start to interact and connect. Mm. And I think that's going to be the next phase for me. And it, it came about a few weeks ago when I was in Montana where some of the guys, you know, they have, they only do the retreats and other guys I personally coach and other guys have done find your tribe and to watch them all co-mingle and interact throughout the sure. week was like, wow, this is really impactful and this is really exciting that these people are actually, they're connecting and now they have to share things in common and, you know, oh, wait, I know this person and you know that person and now they're building this community. So that'll be the next endeavor is to create something where all of these people that are coming into, you know, my body of work at dif different entry points have the opportunity to interact and grow together. So that's, that's going to be the next innovation for me. I love it, man. Well, Mike, man, this was so great to chat with you today. You definitely did not disappoint. Got to tell my Appreciate guy, Luca, it. thanks again for connecting us. But where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? 
Uh, you could find me, you could uh, find me directly at michaeldesanti.com that my website has all my offerings on that. And then on Instagram, Mike at underscore DeSanti. That's the, the best way to find me. Uh, and I'm, I answer all messages. And if you want to have anything, a question or anything like that, you're free to reach out there or uh, leave me a note on uh, michaeldesanti.com. And, uh, and we could, uh, we could interact from there. And my book, New Man Emerging is on Amazon. Perfect. Uh, new man emerging under Michael DeSanti. Perfect. Well, we'll get all those links in the show notes, but man, again, this was so great catching up today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Michael DeSanti. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, when I first read his book, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I'd heard my friends like Luca Hasavar, Jay Ferrugia absolutely rave about Michael. Didn't really know what to expect, but man, reading his book really touched a couple nerves, as you could tell. Got a little uh, emotional reading that one section of the book because I really felt like it so succinctly explained how I've dealt with certain areas of my life and how I have held some of my own unique energies and passions back because I didn't want to outshine or make somebody else feel like less than they are. So reading that passage, talking to Coach Mike, I feel like was a great experience for me. I hope you took some stuff away from it. And if you haven't checked out his book, New Man Emerging, I mean, obviously it's New Man Emerging. So the guys that are listening to the show could benefit. But honestly, I think a lot of the messages that are put in there would work equally well between men and women. So if you haven't checked out New Man Emerging, definitely check it out. But that does it for this week's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. As you know, always love and appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support. And we will be back next week with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>